God who's a way maker, say amen. amen. He is a way maker. He's made a way for you. He's made a way for me to be in this family of faith through his blood of his son, Jesus Christ, whom he sent to the earth and whom he raised from the dead. Good morning. It's so good to be with you all here today. Uh, I'm going to give you a head start because you may not be too familiar with the book that we're going to be looking at today. So I want you to turn right away to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, it's on page 737 and the Bible pews provided there for you. I thought I'd give you the page number, help you out a little bit. Go ahead. and Yeah, you're welcome. Go ahead and find that. Um, And I'm not trying to be fancy here today, but I have to tell you... uh, just in my own personal Bible study and reading, came across this book and I thought, my goodness, how it's ministered to my soul. I hope it does for your soul here today as well. And as you're turning there uh, on your phone or in your Bibles there that you've got or at home, I want to address those at home. We want to let you know that we love you so much. Uh, But I want to let you know we miss you. It's not the same without you. Uh, We understand there's a lot going on in our world and you may have various reasons why you can't be here today, but we look forward to the day when the Lord allows you Come back here to join us again. We invite you. Come back. We love you. I miss you. I need you. We need you. Uh, I think you need us as well. But uh, we hope that you'll join us here again here soon. But I'm so glad for those of you that have joined us here today. Uh, Let's take a look at Habakkuk here together. But before we do, I want to ask, what is your complaint? What's your complaint? What, What would you complain about here today if I gave you a couple of minutes just to say, hey, go ahead, let it out. What would you complain about? Yeah, yeah, you may vocalize it right now. But uh, a complaint, a dictionary definition for a complaint is this, an expression of discontent, regret, pain, resentment. (coughs) A complaint could be a lament. That's a dictionary definition of a complaint. How many of you got complaints here today? Well, what do you do with your complaints How do you express your feelings of frustration and hopelessness that arise from your circumstances? Now listen, none of us are immune to the brokenness of this world. Yeah, if you're a part of the human race, right, you all raise your hands, we've all encountered the brokenness of this world. We feel it, we see it, we hear it, we watch it. And some of our complaints, they're legitimate, while others can tend to be rather petty, right? Uh, you know, when you think about it at a restaurant and it's taking maybe just a little longer than you wanted to for your nice filet mignon to arrive at your table. Start whining and complaining, right? What about this? Uh, some some uh, complaints are just while others are just flat out selfish. We live in this broken world, right? And we live under the curse of sin and it takes every one, every one of us to those moments in our lives where we are face to face with pain and brokenness and suffering and, and, and anger. And, and, and the, the, the temptation is that we want to take those complaints and we just want to stuff them down. We don't really want to address the issues of our heart, the emotions of our heart. And sometimes we think to yourself, I I don't want to be considered a whiner and a complainer. So we stuff those complaints down. But just like we saw a few days ago in the Southern Pacific Sea, Southern Pacific Ocean, we see that volcanoes relieve that pressure even under the ocean. And we saw tidal waves impacting the Pacific coast here. But like little volcanoes, we have those complaints, those frustrations, those pains and griefs that get stuffed down and eventually they come out of us. 
And so like these little volcanoes, we're walking around and we got to let off steam. In fact, that's a, a phrase that's become more common that I've heard over the last few years. I, let me just vent to you. Can I vent to you right now? Have you ever had anybody walk up to you and say, can you just let me vent for a minute? Right? Maybe you've been one of those people, you know, with a spouse or, or a friend or, or someone close to you. And you feel safe enough to say, can I just vent to you a little bit? And we think, oh, that'll just let off a little bit of steam to relieve the pressure of all of the pain and brokenness and hurt and frustration that I feel in my life. But when we're venting, what are we really doing? We're complaining. <laughs> we feel the brokenness of this world, and sometimes we have to let it out. But there's some psychological studies that are being done. Is venting really healthy for us? You think about it, if we, if we constantly are venting, we may get to the point where that's just the conditioned reaction that we have when we feel the frustrations in life. Boom, it comes out of us just like that. We're one of those volcanoes that's just constantly boiling over and lava is just coming out everywhere and we just walk around leaving a path of destruction behind, of, behind us, right? But also think about the person that's receiving and hearing the complaints, hearing the venting. Think about it. They're carrying their own burdens. They're carrying their own pains. They're carrying their own griefs. And when we vent to them, now we've just added on all the brokenness that we're feeling onto their shoulders as well. So when we think we're just letting off some steam, we're really just these little volcanoes walking around, feeling the frustrations of this world. Where do we go to relieve the pressure to say, oh Lord, help us. In fact, that is where we go. Take a moment right now, and I want you to do this for me. I want you to take a moment, some of you have vocalized it, but I want you to think about what are the frustrations that are burdening you here today? You know, maybe it's a personal frustration. Maybe it's something related to your health. Health that just won't improve. Health that maybe is a new issue in your life, and you're coming to grips with the fact that your body is not going to last forever. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's the people in your life that are causing you heartache and pain. The people that you love. The people that love you, but you're finding that there is just intense relational conflict and you feel it. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's economical. Maybe it's living under a state of joblessness for so long. Maybe it's just feeling the pressures of the inflation that we're experiencing as a society, right? What about national frustrations? National brokenness, national grievances, seeing parties at war with each other, seeing households divided over differing views, seeing even churches divided over varying views, and we feel the pressure of the conflict in our lives, and we see it globally. We see people hurting. We see people in pain. We see suffering. We see children suffering, brokenness. We see uh, young girls, young boys being sold, exploited. It it's just breaks your heart and you look at it and you say, where can I take this frustration? This isn't right. This is evil. This is unjust. Where do we go to take the complaints from the frustrations that we feel? But what's your complaint today? It could be any of those things. And if I gave you five minutes and I gave you a microphone, I'm not going to do it. But if I gave you five minutes with a microphone and you were standing up here and we just gave you, go ahead, vent it out. What would be your top complaints? What would you feel frustrated about today in your life? What I want you to do right now is I want you to take that complaint mentally. I want you to take that and I want you to set it 
on the pew right next to you. We're going to deal with that a little bit later. But right now, I want you to think about that. Set it there. And we're going to pick that up later. Because we're going to hear the voice of a prophet. And his name is Habakkuk. Right? From the Old Testament. And what Habakkuk has is he's got complaints. He's got griefs. And he's got frustrations. And what we have to ask as we open the scriptures here today, is there anyone qualified to hear my complaint? Is there someone who can give me hope that the injustices, the brokenness, the pain, the suffering that I see and feel in my life will be righted and that I will be delivered? Is there anyone that cares? This is one of the great books that deals with the problem of suffering and evil. Will there be an end? Will justice come? So we're going to look at Habakkuk. Yes, Habakkuk, (laughs) from the Old Testament. Again, page 737 if you haven't found it. And I'm going to do a very brief, very speedy flyover because I just want us to see what is this book about before we can see what is it for a person living in 2022. I still have to get used to saying that. 2022 that wants to follow Jesus. What does this book have to say to me? Well, Habakkuk. He is a prophet who lived in the late 600s B.C. What was a prophet? Well, the prophets of the Old Testament, they were called by God, commissioned by God to go and speak to the nation of Israel to hold them accountable to the covenant that God had made with them. You see, God had delivered his people, the Hebrew people. He, he had made promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were a small family that went to Egypt that exploded into millions of people. And God said, I'm going to fulfill my promises and I'm going to deliver those people. And he did it through the Exodus. Amazing, amazing miracles that God did to redeem his people. And then when he did that, he said, now you're mine and we're going to make a covenant together. I promise to bless you and keep you. I promise to provide for your needs and make you prosper in the land. But you're going to make a covenant with me to obey my commands and remain loyal to me, worshiping me alone. Because there's all kinds of competing false gods in the world, but I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And so the prophets, they come along and what they're doing is that they're holding people accountable to that covenant that God made with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai through Moses. We know it as the Ten Commandments, but it includes other commands as well. That's earlier in the Old Testament. And so God is there and and, and he's sending his prophets and one of those prophets is Habakkuk because these prophets have to come and tell the people, you're violating the covenant. And that was the problem. The nation of Israel, they said with their mouths, we'll follow you, but their hearts were far from God. They bowed down to idols. They were immoral. They they gave into their self-indulgences. In fact, the book of Judges says that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They became a law unto themselves and they rejected the law of their Redeemer God who delivered them out of Egypt. And so we come to the era of Habakkuk. And Israel split into two kingdoms. You know, they were split because of of some uh, turmoil, brokenness, that they were feeling injustices. At the northern kingdom, they were wiped away by the kingdom of Assyria. They had bowed down to the idols. They had been absolutely wicked. And God said, I'm bringing the nation of Assyria, and they're going to come in real violently. Take you, wipe you out, take you away into exile. We may never see you ever again. But there was another part of the nation, the nation of Judah in the south, in Jerusalem. And they were there, and some of the kings were leading the people to loyalty and allegiance to the one true God. But in Habakkuk's time, he had seen that they had strayed away from loyalty to the Lord. And Habakkuk sees wickedness. He sees evil. 
He sees idolatry. Idolatry so deep and so thick and so bad that it wasn't just out around the land. That, but the wicked people, the wicked kings of Judah had brought their false idols right into God's holy temple. Right into his house. So that things that would be abominable in the sight of God were done right there in his holy temple amongst the people. God's temple was filled with idols. This led to gross immorality, self-indulgence. And then it resulted in the oppression of the weak and the vulnerable in the land. The the weak, the poor, the, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner. They were getting oppressed over and over and over again. And the prophets came and said, this is wrong. This is sinful. Repent and turn to your God. A nation that was wicked. A nation that was full of idolatry. A nation that was full of immorality. A nation that was full of injustice and oppression. A nation that was full of crime and exploitation. A nation full of wicked leaders. A nation full of people that were turning their backs on their creator and following their own hearts and desires. Does that sound like a familiar story to you? Here we are living in a nation where we're seeing the same kinds of idolatrous sins happening in our hearts all the time. And we may be asking ourselves, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? However, instead of addressing the wicked nation, Habakkuk does a different thing. He takes a different route. Um, What he does is he actually addresses God. He says, God... We've been falling down on the response to you, but I want to know, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Uh, Habakkuk says, I I see the evil everywhere, and I'm wondering, where's God? When is he going to enact his end of the covenant and judge the evil that's filled the land, that's filled his temple, that's filled the nation? Where's his justice for evil and wickedness and oppression? Where's his deliverance of the righteous? There's a righteous few here, but we're suffering. When is he going to come and deliver? Does he see? Does he care? Habakkuk has a legitimate complaint that he expresses to God. I want to ask you, have you ever felt like Habakkuk? Where's God? Turn on the news. You know, I I scroll through the news just to get caught up what's going on. I see, especially when it comes to children Harm being done to children. Not just overseas, right in our cities, right in our nation. Bullets flying. Parents abdicating their role to love and protect their children. Oh, friends, we feel it. We feel it. How long, oh Lord, do you see? Do you care? What will you do? Have you ever felt like Habakkuk today? Do you feel like him? Maybe today you've come in. You know, some of us may feel like, I I don't want to be a whiner. I don't want to be a complainer. And some of us think that it's even irreverent to address God this way. But yet, but yet, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that if I'm trying to just put on the good Sunday school face and come into church today and say, hey, I'm not going to complain about anything today. What we're doing is we're just covering up the realities of our hearts and our lives. I feel it today. I feel it today. How long, O Lord? Let me give you a brief summary of Habakkuk then. 
Habakkuk starts his complaint. We've got two complaints by Habakkuk, two responses by God, and then finally in chapter 3, a prayer in response to all that Habakkuk has seen from God. So first of all, we see Habakkuk's first complaint. How can you let the wicked get away with so much evil? Habakkuk uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Have you ever been there? Oh Lord, how long? How long have you been praying for a child, for a grandchild, for a spouse? How long have you been praying for healing in your life? How long have you been praying for that job that just won't come? How long have you been praying for the salvation of your loved ones? And you may be just like Habakkuk saying, Lord, how long am I supposed to wait? I feel it. But he says, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk's first complaint is, how can you let the wicked get away with so much evil? And when he's talking about, he's not talking about the whole world. He's talking about the very people of God living so wickedly. And so he feels like, is God, do you see? Do you care? What are you going to do about it? The Lord has a response. Chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 1, verses 5 through 11 This is the Lord's answer. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're dreaded and fearsome and their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Drop down to verse 9. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Habakkuk is saying, when are you going to bring judgment and justice on the wicked people that I live amongst? And God says, I'm doing something you don't know anything about, Habakkuk. I'm doing something bigger than you could ever imagine. I'm raising up a nation that is going to take over the Assyrians. They're going to wipe them out and then they're going to come through. These are the Chaldeans, also known as the Babylonians. They're going to come through and they're going to bring in swift justice. You think my people love violence? You think that they're violent? You're calling out saying, Lord, I'm calling out violence all the time. He says, I know if my people want violence, I'm going to show what violence looks like. I'm bringing the Babylonians in. They're going to bring real violence. So Habakkuk hears all this and he goes, are you kidding me? This is, this is even worse than what I thought. How could this be? Not only am I crying out violence here in this nation, but now you're going to bring in a foreign nation worse than us to judge us? When will you finally bring justice on the wicked? Now you've added more onto this. We got evil people here in the nation. Now you're bringing in more evil people. When will there be justice? Will you ever punish the wicked? So Habakkuk says, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. He's saying, I know who you are, and I know we're your people. I know you won't wipe us out completely. 
But, oh Lord, you've ordained them, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, as judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Habakkuk doesn't know what to do. He's saying, how, how long are you going to just watch wicked people come in and oppress the righteous? And so Habakkuk doesn't know what to do. He's kind of at his wit's end. And so he says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go up on my tower. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tire, t- tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He says, I, I don't understand how this is all going to work out. I'm going to have to see what God's going to do. I know he's righteous. I know that he's everlasting. And I feel like he is taking forever to actually judge the wicked. So I'm going to stand up here and whatever he does when he brings those Cal- uh, Cal- um, Babylonians in, I don't know how I'm going to respond to it, but I'm going to wait up here and see what God does. And so he's waiting. And the Lord says, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do to those Chaldeans. I'm going to show you what I'm going to do to the the Babylonians. And what, what God is doing in answering Habakkuk is he's saying, I care about the wicked in Israel. I care about the wicked Babylonians. But more than that, I care about all the wicked in this world. I will have my day. He says, I will have my day of vengeance. But here's the caveat, Habakkuk. I want you to know something. I will have my day of justice. I will have my day of vengeance. But not in your time. In my time. In my time. Habakkuk chapter 2. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. The Lord goes on to describe to Habakkuk that the wicked are arrogant in response to his patience, but the righteous will live by patient loyalty toward the Lord as they wait for his salvation. There's a day coming when the Babylonians and all who are wicked and all who exploit the weak and vulnerable will have their arrogance and exploitation turned back on them. There are five woes that God goes on to describe, and we won't look at them all, but God says, woe to those who exploit the weak. Woe to those those who build their wealth on the backs of the oppressed. Woe to those who are violent toward the vulnerable. Woe to those who strip others naked and expose their shame. And woe to the violent. God will have his day of judgment. Habakkuk is seeing an awesome, awesome revelation of God's judgment. God will have his day of judgment upon the wicked Chaldeans who would punish his people. But this points to a great day of judgment upon the wicked of the whole world, friends. This has global implications. The Lord will not be patient and remain silent forever. Evil will be judged. Then finally, to give a summary of this book, Habakkuk in chapter 3, he just prays a prayer of praise to God. He says, I am seeing your awesome power. What you've revealed to me is more than words can say. I've heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear, verse 2. And he goes through and he describes all of the the justice that God brings down. He sees a, a vision of it, even though it hasn't happened yet. He sees the vision and he remembers this vision. It's comparing this vision back to what he saw God do to deliver his people out of Egypt, through the Exodus. And he says, this is a mighty God of power and I know he can do it again. 
Habakkuk, what he does there at the end then is he just prays a praise to God for his awesome power and magnificent work of judgment and salvation. God had told Habakkuk in chapter 1 verse 5, you're going to be astounded and you're going to wonder at the things that I'm about to do. And by the end of the book, in chapter 3 verse 16, we see almost Habakkuk kind of curled up in a ball. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. This vision that he sees of God's justice and wrath and vengeance because he's a righteous and good and holy God makes his knees buckle and he realizes, wow, this God is way bigger than I ever imagined. Well, four things that we can learn about God in relation to the evil in this world from the book of Habakkuk. We're going to invite Habakkuk to come up here. I'll give him the microphone. And he's going to say, hey, here are the four things that I've learned about God through my experience. As I voiced my complaint to him, feel free to write these down if you've got a piece of paper, pencil, pen, whatever you got. Four things we learn about God in relation to the evil in this world from Habakkuk. First of all, the Lord is always in control over this world. The Lord is always in control in control over this world. Again, we already read it once. Let's just look at it again. Chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. He says, Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. You know, we sang it. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. And that's what God is telling Habakkuk. I'm doing something. I'm working in ways you have no idea And these Chaldeans, these Babylonians, they thought they were such hot stuff. So mighty, so powerful. They'd come in, they'd plunder, they'd kill, they'd destroy violence and rape and all these terrible things. And then they'd take all the precious stuff, they'd move on to the next city and do it all over again. Like this nation of pirates that are moving around. I mean, really, really terrible stuff. And yet God says, they think they're so hot. They think they're so mighty. It's not them that's raising up their power. They think that no one can defeat them. They think that they're invincible but what they don't understand is that I am the one that's allowing them to be raised up for my glory and for my purpose you see our Lord is always in control over this world in chapter 2 of Habakkuk verses 19 to 20 it says this the Lord speaking to Habakkuk about this his judgment he says woe to him who says to a wooden thing awake to a silent stone arise you see that the Babylonians the Chaldeans they worshiped their idols they thought these things that we carve and that we hew out of stone these are our gods that bring us deliverance and give us our strength but he says woe to that kind of person he said can this teach behold it's overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath at all in it But the Lord, the Lord, unlike a created thing, he's in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. You know, these Babylonians think they're great, bowing down and trusting their idols, but there's only one who is in control over all things at all time, and that's the one true God, the Lord of Israel. Four things we learn about God in relation to evil from the book of Habakkuk. The Lord is always in control over this world. Number two, the Lord is always on perfect time to judge the wicked and save the righteous. He's always on perfect time. We saw this. This was the Lord's response to Habakkuk. He says, I'm going to work, but it's not going to be in your time. It's going to be in my time. Verse three of chapter two, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. 
if it seems slow, I'm not late. I'm not late. If it seems slow, wait for it. It surely will come. It will not delay. God is always on perfect time to judge the wicked and save the righteous. You know, in 2 Peter, uh, Peter brings up a, 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 a um, taunt that wicked people are bringing against God's people, saying, you know, you talk about this Jesus, you know, that he's coming back to judge the world and all things are going to come to an end. But you know what? Seasons come. Seasons go. The sun comes up. The sun comes down. You know what? Baseball season, football season, autumn, spring, summer, winter, it all just keeps going on and on and on. Boy, you guys were fooled and duped. This so-called God that you have, he doesn't keep his promises. He forgot his promises. But Peter says this, don't be fooled. A day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. See, our Lord isn't slow to fulfill his promise, but guess what he is? He's patient. He's patient with us. He's always on time. Let me say this, friend. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you have a ticket to be in his eternal kingdom forever and ever, you've received that gift as eternal life, aren't you thankful that he was patient enough to wait for you to repent and believe upon him? If he came one second before I repented and turned to him, I would have been shut out forever. But he's patient and he's kind, not willing that any should perish. Our Lord will judge the wicked and he will deliver his people but he is right on time and right now he is still patient. Friend, if you're here today and you've never put faith in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you today his judgment is coming and it will be right on time but today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe the good news about Jesus Christ. The Lord is always on perfect time to judge the wicked and save the righteous. Number three, the Lord cares more about his justice and glory in the world than you do. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was struck with this this week. I felt like, Lord, I got some complaints to bring to you. Habakkuk did it. I'm going to do it too. I got some complaints. I see some injustice and wickedness. And he says, Matthew, Habakkuk, look, I care more than you do. Chapter 2, verses 12 to 14 says this, the Lord speaking, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and the nations weary themselves for nothing? He's saying, hey, they're doing a lot of work, but I'll let you know it's vanity because I have my day. Why? Verse 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Lord, I, I'm just praying, would you bring some peace and justice to like my part of Vallejo, California? I, I'm just praying for that. Would you bring some peace and justice to West Contra Costa County? Would you bring some peace and justice to those, are, those that are hurting in the state of California and in the United States and around this globe? He says, don't you worry. I care more about this than you do, Matthew. I'm going to make sure that my glory covers the earth. God cares more about justice than you do. He cares more about the evil and the brokenness that you feel in your life than even you do. He's going to make sure that his glory doesn't just cover your life, but it's going to cover this entire globe. Fourthly, and we must move because I have a few more things I want to share that Habakkuk has taught me and I want to share with you this week. Fourth, the Lord is a mighty warrior. 
who will thoroughly judge the wicked and triumphantly save his people. Again, take a look at chapter 3. This was what Habakkuk saw. He said, oh my, I've seen this mighty warrior on display. Verses 12 to 15, Habakkuk chapter 3. You marched throughout the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. My, my, my. Our Lord is a mighty warrior. This is what brought Habakkuk to kind of curling up and saying, my body's about to give way. I see how mighty and how powerful and how just and righteous and holy you are. Friends, this was the end of Babylon that Habakkuk was seeing. Even before Babylon came onto the scene, God gave Habakkuk a vision of the end. But we must remember as we read our Bibles... Many Babylons have arisen throughout history opposed to God. We go back to Genesis, we see the Tower of Babel. People raising up a tower in opposition and arrogance to God. We see this Babylon that comes and we see from the pages of the scripture that God brings them down faster than he allowed them to come up. We see later on that the the, the empire of Rome is referred to as another Babylon bringing oppression upon God's people. You see, Babylon throughout Scripture is a term used symbolically to denote the whole world system in opposition to our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see the end of this Babylon. There's a Babylon that exists today, a world system that is opposed to God and his people. And we feel the evil all over the place But there is coming a day when the final Babylon, under the control of Satan and his beast, who persecutes and kills God's people and exploits the weak and breathes out injustice throughout the whole world, this Babylon will come to an end, friends. When we read the end of Babylon from Habakkuk, we look forward to the day when the Babylon of our time is finally destroyed and gone. And the same power is at work in our day that was at work in Habakkuk's day. So we cry out, how long, O Lord, till our Babylon is wiped away? We've got friends and family all over this world that are dying because of the cause of Jesus Christ. But we see the end, that it's coming. Just as Habakkuk saw the end, we get a glimpse of the end. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 to 16 say this. The apostle John writes, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This is our mighty warrior, friends, that we know has risen from the dead, conquered Satan, conquered sin, conquered death. And he said, hang on a little while. I'm coming back at just the right time as a mighty warrior to judge the wicked and deliver you, my people. We have a mighty warrior on our side, friends. 
That's what we learn about God from the book of Habakkuk. And I would like to leave you then with four things. And here's our big idea today. I know I've saved it for the end. But the big idea from Habakkuk is this for you today. When evil prevails, choosing to focus on God turns our frustration into faith. When evil prevails, choosing to focus on God turns our frustration into faith. Because Habakkuk's circumstances haven't changed an ounce throughout the journey of this book. Not once. Not one ounce. Nothing has changed. And Habakkuk was right in his evaluation of the evil he saw and the justice the wicked deserved. The issue was not the circumstances. The issue was his heart. His heart. You see, only God... A clear vision and focusing on God can turn our frustration into faith, just like Habakkuk. What kind of frustrations do we feel? We feel the fear. We feel frantic. We feel and see the fighting all around us. It's full of emotions, and we feel it all the time, and we wonder, how long, oh Lord? But God has said today, I I may not change your circumstances today, but I can do something better. I can turn your frustration into faith. I can give you hope. I can give you joy. I can give you peace that surpasses all understanding. I can give you patience to keep waiting in such dark days. I can fill your heart with love and quietness and trust. So I want to leave you with four things. Four things. Then we'll move through them quickly. Four things that God will do to turn your frustration into faith when you choose to focus on him. Four things God will do for you to turn your frustration into faith when you choose to trust in him. Number one, he'll turn your complaining into contentment. He'll turn your complaining into contentment. We saw it in chapter one, verse two. How long, O Lord? That phrase there in and of itself is telling me that's a lament song. We see it all through the Psalms, the lament Psalms, where King David and others are crying out, how long, O Lord? It's a psalm of a lament. That's what Habakkuk is doing. He's complaining and he's saying, how long, O Lord? I see violence everywhere. I'm going to go up to this watchtower. I'm going to wait and watch for you. I am so frustrated. I feel so stirred in my heart. But when we choose to focus on God, when we join our fellow brother Habakkuk in focusing on God, just like he did for him, he could do for us. Turn our complaints into contentment. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 16 once again. Chapter three, sixteen of Habakkuk. He says, I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver, rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet, yet, I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon a people who invade us. Habakkuk chose to focus on God and he said, my complaining has turned into contentment. See, in our day and age when we experience frustrations, uh, you know, if you aren't getting your way on the first try, try, try again and try it louder, right? The complaints, we just turn up the volume. If things aren't going my way, just turn up the volume. I'll just turn it up to 11, right? 
I'll make a new number. Let's just turn it up to 11. Get the complaints louder than ever. And in fact, we're typing in all caps on your favorite social media platform, complaining about all the ills that you feel in your life, all the ills related to this pandemic, all the ills that you feel related to the social issues of our day, all the ills you feel in your life related to politics and your family, and we put it on blast everywhere. If I can't get it fixed the first time, I'll just say it louder. But when we choose to focus on God, he turns our complaining into contentment. I don't need to get louder. Is it because I don't care? No. It's because I know God hears. He hears the quietness of trust, and I know that he will act. God's people are content even though they aren't the loudest or most influential voice in the room. Friend, when you focus on God, you believe that he will have the final word. He will have the final word. You know, when we get into an argument, we all love to have that final word in there, right? But those of us that know our God can say, I may not have the loudest or most influential voice in the room, but my God will have the final word. So our hearts may rest in quietness and trust before him and before others. He'll turn your complaining into contentment. Second thing he'll do when you choose to focus on him, uh, he will turn your demands for justice into requests for compassion. He'll turn your demands for justice into requests for compassion. Again, we won't read it. We've already read it several times, but in the opening of this book, you can almost hear Habakkuk pounding his fist saying, justice, where's your justice, God? Don't you see the violence everywhere? Kill these people, throw them down, burn them, get rid of them, throw them to hell, God. Don't you see the injustice everywhere? But yet we see chapter 3, verse 2, that Habakkuk has a different tone. After he's seen and he's got his eyes fixed on this mighty warrior God, he says in chapter 3, verse 2, O Lord, I've heard the report of you. In your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. Wow, listen to that. Don't kill him. Give us new life. We need life. In the years of, uh, midst of years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. Oh, the tone of Habakkuk changes. He goes from pounding for justice to say, Oh Lord, oh Lord, have compassion, have mercy. You see, the demand for justice makes you the judge, jury, and executioner. What we're doing in our demands for justice, although they may be righteous, When we come to God and we expect that we know better than him, we're usurping God's role as judge over creation. We're saying, God, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. However, when we see the perfect and holy judge of the universe, we understand that we too, we're not sitting in the, we're not sitting with the gavel on the stand. We're we're down in the booth and we're the ones that deserve to be executed We're the ones that we see that we're sinful. In fact, in Psalm 130, verses 1 through 4, it says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? Who can stand? Who can stand? Not you, not me, but with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. When we see this righteous judge, our demands for justice turn into requests for compassion. 
In fact, that's the characteristic that ought to mark God's people. It's not pounding our fists for justice. But Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You know what? Our God is a much better judge than you will ever be. When you encounter people in your world, when they know that you're a Christian and you approach them, do they see someone who's trying to usurp God as judge over them? Or do, you see some, or do they see someone that's received mercy from him and says, I want to extend his mercy to you. Will you receive his mercy? Friends, I believe that maybe our witness has kind of been lousy lately, and I'm including myself because we have been standing and God, trying to take God's place in the stand with the gavel in our hand as judge over our friends and neighbors and loved ones when he's saying, no, I've sent you out to be my ambassador for my mercy. I will have my day. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Our God alone is the judge. What does the world see from you? Judgment or mercy? When we choose to focus on him, he turns our demands for justice into requests for compassion. Thirdly, and I'll move quickly, he will turn yourself, he will turn your arrogant self-reliance into humble dependence. Chapter two, verse four says this, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his own good works. No, the righteous shall live by his faith. The arrogant, self-reliant person says, I can't wait any longer. I'm taking matters into my own hands. God, you're taking too long. I'm doing this on my own. And we manipulate the situation. We think that we're qualified to see the whole picture and know what needs to be done. I'll do whatever it takes to make things right. Hey, the ends even justify the means. I'll break the boundaries. I'll violate the law. Whatever it takes because I have to get my purposes done. That's the heart of self-reliance and arrogance. But humble dependence says, no one is righteous before God, especially me. He alone is righteous. I depend on him alone for my salvation. The righteous shall live by faith, so I'm gonna trust in him in patient loyalty and allegiance to his name. If you've received God's free gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ, then why are you seeking to manipulate the circumstances of your life rather than trusting in him in all things? The righteous live by faith. What are you living by today? What are you living by today? Will you trust and wait upon this God? Are you living by self-reliance or humble dependence upon the God of Habakkuk and the God of, of Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? Are you trusting in this God? Fourthly and finally, he'll turn your bitter lament into a song of joyful praise. When we choose to focus on God, when evil prevails, he will turn your bitter lament into joyful praise. We saw it several times. He opened up this book bitterly lamenting how long, O oh Lord, but listen to his final words. And this is where I want us to focus in reflection and prayer as we close. Chapter 3, verses 17 and 19 says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. 
The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights and listen to the final words to the choir master with stringed instruments. Friends, this is supposed to be a song. Habakkuk has delivered it to the nation of Israel and we have it here in the pages of the scripture. Guess why? This is a song that's supposed to be sung. When we feel the evil of our day prevailing, surrounding all around us, he's saying, and he wants us to sing it, choose to focus on God and he'll turn your frustration into faith. He'll turn your bitter lament into a joyful song of praise. We sang it this morning. I will choose to praise him. Yes, I will. Even in the darkest valley all my days, yes, I will choose to praise him and give him a joyful song of praise. Friends, when we do that, he turns our frustration into faith. He turns our frustration into faith. You know, I I remember my grandmother years ago in the early 90s. For some reason, our family, we were starting to listen to some country music. I am not a fan of country music at all. But we're listening to country music. Yeah, there's some fans over there. And you know what's interesting? So many of the songs seem to be a lament, a tone of complaint. And we see it in so many other genres of music. We see it in the blues, obviously. We see it in rock and roll. We see it in hip-hop. I mean, you just name it. You could see themes of brokenness and hurt and pain. And our world does a great job identifying with that. Some amazing artistry of, of being able to articulate the brokenness that we all feel. But boy, does it leave you empty after you listen to it for a while? Where's the hope? Where's the joy? Where's the peace? Our God has given us a song to sing. A song to sing, not just identifying the evil that we feel, but the joy that can fill our hearts when we choose to focus on our mighty warrior, when we choose to focus on our God. What kind of song have you been singing lately, friend? What kind of song have your coworkers and your kids and your spouse and your family and your friends and your neighbors, and what, what kind of song has been sung on social media? A song of lament or a song of praise to our God? I don't care how bad it gets, he fills my heart with joy. He fills my heart with joy. And he closes this book and he says, even if the figs, trees have no blossoms, no grape on the vines, no olives, even if you take away all the grain and all the livestock is gone, you take away the basic necessities of my life, yet I will choose to praise him. So how we're going to close here this morning is I hope you got one of these cards as you came in. And if you did not, just raise your hand. I think some of the ushers can, can pass those out to you. You've got a card here, and I want to give you a tool. It's simple. It's just a little paper postcard. But I want to give this to you as a tool. I'm going to ask you to pick up those complaints, those frustrations that I asked you to set next to you earlier in the service. And I want you to express those to God. I've given you some spaces here. You could fill that out. There's pencils there. And we're going to take just a couple of minutes of reflection. I want to allow you to reflect right now. Even, the, even those of your life even though this is taken away from me, even though I continue to battle cancer in my life, even though I struggle to love my kids, even though I'm estranged from my kids, even though I feel relational turmoil in my life, you fill in the blank with whatever is grieving you today, whatever you feel bitter lament about. I'm gonna invite you to fill that in the blank. But as you do that, I want you to offer those up to your God and say, even though, even though, even though I feel these things, yet, 
I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. You know what, friends? I would love it if he would just put a smooth path in front of us. But he didn't say he would do that. But he said, you know what? I will make your feet like a deer's though. And you'll be able to navigate all the rocky and obstacle places of your life. When you choose to focus on me, I'll give you more strength to endure than you ever imagined. So I want to invite you right now to yourself. I want you to go ahead and fill that out. And I want you to offer this as a song of choosing by faith to trust in the Lord today. And then I'll close in prayer. And you'll be dismissed. And I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you today that when evil prevails, choosing to focus on God will turn your frustration into faith. What kind of song will you leave with today? Go ahead and fill that out very quietly to yourselves, a moment of reflection, and then I'll close us in prayer. Hope you've had an opportunity to write some of these down, and I hope you take some moments in the days ahead. Put this on your dashboard of your car, on the mirror in your bathroom. Maybe put it in your Bible as a reminder to sing a song of praise, but I'm gonna close us in prayer right now. Our Father, we declare today together as a church that even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet we will rejoice in the Lord. We will be joyful in the God of our salvation. The sovereign Lord, you are our strength. You make us as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. Father, I pray for every single soul here today. First of all, I pray that if there's anybody here that's never met this mighty warrior God who offers mercy today, oh, would you let them come in repentance and faith today, trusting in you alone. And oh, Father, for those of us We've been full of venting. We've been full of complaining these difficult and challenging and evil days of our world. But oh, I pray, as we come to you, we choose to focus on you. Turn our frustrations into faith. Turn our complaints into contentment. Turn our demands for, for justice into requests for compassion. Turn our arrogant self-reliance into humble dependence. And oh, we trust that you will turn our bitter laments into songs of praise. Let us go today singing a song of praise to you because you are a good God and you've done great things and you will save us and you have saved us. We trust in you today. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our mighty warrior and faithful God, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day.